Welcome to the 158. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to go back and check out episode one, the first half of Private Retired Matt Anderson's story. Here's a little recap of what we heard in episode one. He's like, what's your name? And I was like, Matt. And he's like, you have no fucking first name. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad's beside me and I was like, oh shit. Like, I didn't even know what to say. Like, wake up. Like, it's private number. You got to answer it. Like, I'm not answering. I don't know who it is. They're like, what if it's the base? Like, fine, I'll answer it. They're like, Private Anderson? Yes. Uh, Do you got all your kit ready? Are you good to go? You squared away? I'm like, yeah. Have you dag? Which is like, go through the process of medical and admin and all that. Yeah. All right. Well, you're leaving on Monday to go to Afghanistan. It's like, oh. Yeah, heart starts going. I'm like, I don't butterflies. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You, my poor mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, so you know how I said that I was in this like platoon that I'd probably not get to go, but there's a chance I could end up going. She's like, you're going seven, eight months. It, it all depends on chalk, like when you go in and come out. Um, and what month are you going in? Uh, I technically August. I left in August, but I got in country September 1st, I think. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. And there's no lights either, and you're like strapped in these like in like webbing seats. It's just him and I, so it's like we're not getting much detail. No, this is like two no hook privates that are like barely in the military. Yeah, you're not, you don't even have a hook yet. Yeah, exactly. So it's like we don't know what to expect, and we're by ourselves. Baser, you've got to go outside the wire. I, I still don't even think that really hit home. Like, I, I think just because I was nervous more just to be coming into this situation it was so fast tracked so I, the, my first day there I'm getting jacked up just where the fuck is your shit you can't get in the lab without your shit on and I'm like I didn't in my head I'm like I didn't know that I needed to wear this this is how like I shouldn't have been over there is pretty much what it comes down to you uh, <laughs> so yeah and uh, I'm like, oh, I, uh, it's, it's locked up. And they already took it. And he's like, you're a fucking idiot. Get in the lab. So we get in the lab and roll to uh, Kanahar Airfield. And then I get there. I get told which section I'm going to be in. Get shown, like, my little bed. So we had a super good at Camp Nathan Smith for being in the infantry. So you're rolling out of Kandahar Airfield yep. to Camp Nathan Smith. Yep. So I, that part was a little bit weird because yeah. you don't know. It's like anywhere. You don't, you, you're going, so you have like this idea and vision in your head. But then when you get there, it's not actually that. So it was like Kandahar Airfield was so busy. It was like a mini city. And then we roll out the gates and then it's like, oh, this is like big open desert, but there's still roads with all these cars driving down them and stuff. It was just kind of weird. It wasn't what I was envisioning, I guess. Right. When you leave the airbase, do you have to go through the actual city of Kandahar? Yeah. Like Camp Nathan Smith is like in the city of Kandahar, like in the city. So, so you leave the airfield and now you're, cause the airfield's not in the city. It's south of the city. It's by, yeah. Like Tarnak Farms and stuff. Yeah. And up, now you're up in another Ford operating base in Kandahar. Yeah. I don't even, like, it's, it's a really weird base. Like, I was at Camp Wilson, Camp uh, MSG, and those two camps were completely different than CNS. Like, it's, those were, like, real fobs, and the, CNS was so good. We had, like, buildings with nice rooms with air conditioning, and 
And it was, yeah, it was pretty wild. So we end up getting there and I go into my room and like, I'm still kind of fucked up from the time chains and stuff. And so I end up going to sleep pretty early. I wake up and there's two grenades on my bed. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what are these? They're like, oh, Sarge came in and you were sleeping. So he just put them on your bed for you. And it's like, oh, thanks. And it's, it's a wild, <laughs> right? Don't pull the pen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, it, and I think that's when it kind of hit me. Like, yeah, this is real. Like, yeah, these things kill people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we aren't here to just, you know, hang out and have a good time in the sun. There's shit going on around us. Uh, so, yeah. Ended up, like, my first time going outside the wire was right beside the camp. There's a, what's called a mad pit. And uh, that's where civilians would come in and drop off explosives that they found. And when we were there, we would pay civilians if they brought stuff in. We ended up finding out through forensics, like, they would bring suicide vests. And it would actually be, like, the same people handing it in that were making them so that they could get money. So they could get paid for it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, How how long uh, are you stationed before you actually go outside the wire? How long are you there for? Like, 24 hours. Wow. I, I... I think so. You're not a week in Afghanistan. You're leaving. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Like yeah, a few days, and then it's. So we would do the routine would be like one day while we're at Camp Nathan Smith, we would do our sister platoon would be out at the FOBs at Wilson and MSG. We would be at Camp Nathan Smith for two weeks, and then we would rotate. So while you're at Camp Nathan Smith, you would do one day on of quick reaction force, which is like going outside the wire whenever an IED is called in, uh, anything's going on, you need to go give support. So you're kind of sitting, waiting. Yeah, so you do one day like that, and then the next day would always be a patrol, usually a security patrol for whatever, like food trucks or something, right? Cool. You're the backup. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we're there for, yeah, it's more like show and presence, I think, more than anything. But, um, yeah, so we, my first call was one of those QRF calls, uh, we go out and you put down our, our strip for like if cars roll through, like, a, like the police would do. And then we're manning that little area. It's in a little nook. Like a tire puncture. You're talking yeah, about yeah. Like a tire puncture yeah. thing? And then we have, I'm out there with another guy and we're on like a busy main street. So there's cars just flying back and forth and motorcycles and stuff. And this kid on a bike rolls by. And this is my first time outside the wire. I'm fucking amped up. And this kid on a bike rolls by and he's pointing backwards and yelling. But it's, I can't understand him. And so I'm like, oh, there's like on my radio, like there's a kid pointing back. I don't know what he's pointing at. And it ended up just being like another allied force rolling by. But then we get back inside the wire and one of the guys in my section is like, hey man, that happens all the time. You need to chill out. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but that's you just you don't know yet, right? So that's oh for uh, sure, yeah. Just like just like those couple nights uh, where it's just you and that, that other guy, or or even coming in, like you, you just don't know yet, right? Yeah, so. no, it's uh, I was so young too and inexperienced in so many different levels, and didn't really have anyone to like guide me either, right? Like I hadn't built that rapport with someone yet. Are you right. still eighteen? Uh, I was. N- I want to say it was nineteen or twenty. When's your birthday? August fourth. Oh, so, so you're nineteen years old now over there. Jesus. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put that, I was always like, right? I'm, like I was 21. Yeah. That your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. 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 So uh, over time, we had a hockey rink 
on our camp, which was phenomenal. It was great for morale. It was great to, like for me too. At CNS? Yeah. We had this little was mini. Was that big? Yeah, it, was, well, it wasn't that big, but we had a little corner where we had like our gym and then this little hockey rink. You're not talking about like skating. You're talking about like like ball hockey. Derek, we're talking about the desert. Of course, I'm talking about <laughs> okay, ball hockey. That's, I thought you meant like a building. That's why. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hard doesn't yeah. have the refrigeration. Yeah. Canner yeah. was sending over zambonis for yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> just, clar- just clarify. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, that was where I started to kind of like meet some of the guys. One of the guys that I ended up, uh, he he was razzing me at first. With, uh, it was Tom Hamilton, Corporal Hamilton. And at first I was like, is this guy just like a dick or what? And then is that say his th- first tour. That was like his, I think his third tour. Okay. So, and like, I already heard about him. Like he was involved in some heavy shit. And I want to say like 07, 06, 07 or something. Um, so it, like I had a respect for the guy without even knowing him really. And then about two weeks after being there, he sat down beside me at the mess and he was like, you know, I'm just razzing you because I actually like you. And I was like, oh, fuck. All right. And he's a Habs fan. So I was like, I can't like this guy. I'm trying to like this guy. And he's being a dick to me, but I can't even like this guy because he's a Habs fan. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, that's got to feel good, though. That- no, it did. Absolutely. Like that. And then I think it was because we were playing hockey all the time and stuff, which was great. He always made this. Uh, this pig squeal noise. Like, he, he stood out in a crowd. He's hilarious. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, anyways, continue. Oh, yeah, so you're making buddies. You're, like, you're getting to know the guys because you're playing hockey together. Yeah, I mean, we're living together 24-7. Like, it's hard to not get to know each other. But you are going to have to go outside the wire, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like, you're, you you kind of, like, gauge. I, I guess you, you want to be able to trust everyone and know everyone and, I, th- I think I tried to put myself out there so that they knew like I'm not a huge piece of shit and not just like like I'm trying to be a team player and blend in kind of thing. Um, and, and some of them took to it. Some of them I'm sure didn't. But yeah, like for anything. sure. Remembering the fact that you're 19 too, right? So you you you're at that age where you really care about what everybody thinks about you, right? Like for sure. Dude, I still care about what everyone <laughs> thinks about. <laughs> well, for, yeah, for sure. But but at the age of 19, you just want to fit in. So so bad. Oh, that, for sure. Yeah. I, I was I was lucky though because of playing hockey before that I was used to that atmosphere too, sure. right? Like yeah. and changing different teams. Like I ended up not to brag too much, but uh, like I played for a level up and stuff. So right. it was like that same kind of feeling. Like this wasn't the first time. It was a different level, obviously, yeah. but it wasn't like the first time that I've experienced this. But you're used to being like the new guy, right? Like, yeah, a little bit of experience that way, where you kind of yeah. kind of knew that you had to kind of win some people over and yeah and try and like fit in not just if i sat in my room and just sat on my computer all the time i'm sure they'd be like who the fuck is this guy exactly yeah yeah for sure so and yeah, then, like, is he gonna have my back when i'm out there yeah like does he even care too like doesn't want to be is he part of the team right so yeah and uh tom like i really like tom there's a bunch of guys i really like blair like a lot too really looked up to uh but anyway so I, we're there for Remembrance Day, right? So we have like there's these small incidents that happen. Uh, we got suicide attacked. Uh, suicide bomber came in, almost hit us. Uh, didn't break our cordon. Broke the Afghan National Police cordon at a, a sit down meeting. Um, so that was like a close call, but no one got hurt. Well, three Afghan National Police got killed, but none of our guys got hit. Our sister platoon got into like a pretty heavy firefight. Uh, 
I think it was four or five insurgents that popped out and two guys I think got hit in the plates and but there's no injuries yet. This isn't hap- this is at CNS or outside. Well it's outside of CNS, but like that's like on patrols, right? Um, like you're in the Panjway area patrolling around and that's where the, the So Panjway yeah, the Panjway area is where like MSG and Wilson was at. So that's where a lot of stuff happened. Like we had a lot of IEDs in Kandahar City. Uh, but a lot of the, the stuff was happening from outside the fobs, um, from my recollection, at least. Um, so we, but we didn't really have, like we had all, every day we were getting called out for IED. Sometimes we'd get done one IED and then over the radio would be like, well, now you got to go to this place. 10 liner is what it's called. And then you have to go to this place. So we were outside the wire every day, uh, but nothing had really happened. So you kind of get this like cocky attitude. Is there right? any like, contact happening at that time? Like we had, well, Couple. our sister platoon got in that heavy firefight, lots of IEDs, uh, pop shots, but like no heavy firefights or anything. Were there, run. yeah, like scoot and shoot kind of thing or like really indirect fire. Uh, like we don't even know where the shots are coming from kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but like nothing that would like stop your patrol and start engaging. Uh, so then we ended up, there for Remembrance Day. So we end up getting this call at, I don't know what time in the morning, but we end up going out, I think it was like a bicycle ID or something like that. We end up going out, the engineers take care of, we're rolling back in and they're like, well, you guys can go clean up and get ready for parade. And it's like, okay. So me being young and arrogant, I get into my room. Why Tom was in our room, I have no idea, but I start bitching and complaining and being like, you know, we're in a, fucking war zone why do we have to clean up and go do this goddamn parade like isn't this enough and tom came and sat down beside me he puts his arm around me and he's like you know you're like you're fresh in the military when you start losing some friends remembrance day will mean a lot to you and i was like fuck like kind of had to accept that one and be like yeah you're right i get it like, yeah you had to kind of reassess and, and but you're not really that. feeling it are you like it's yeah like i yet. Yeah, like it was a different perspective coming from him, obviously. And it was someone that I had recently gained a lot of respect for, like as a, on a personal level, not just his employment and past, like his career up to that yeah, point. Yeah, he's, he's a guy you look up to. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. So it was like, okay, like all, but it was a different context at that point where it was like, I got to respect this moment just for that moment. And then uh, December 13th, uh, like a heavy day for us and no but there's something that happens december 5th before december 5th no there's no no december 13th is, is the, the 13th one okay I was, yeah i was doing a back check to make sure i had all the, yeah, the yeah. dates i might have gotten an 09 in there or something then yeah there's uh yeah december 13th, 13th we end up this is a big big day yeah so, we uh so you get like where are you on that day uh so i'm sleeping <laughs> The day starts off by getting the lights flicked on, getting told, like, we're going now. We have an IED call. We got to go just like any other day, really. Roughly what time of day is this? This is, like, I want to say, like, 6 in the morning. Okay. It was early, like, early. And how's the heat at that time? Uh, because it was December in the morning. It was weird over there. Like, in the morning, as the winter went on, the mornings would be chilly, so you'd kind of, like, bundle up. And then by, like, 11 o'clock, it was hot as fuck. So depending on what you were doing, like usually we're mounted, luckily, so we could just change quickly. But if you're dismounted, you really had to try and 
figure out what you were going to wear before going, if you could. For sure, yeah. Well, yeah. When you're QRF, you're leaving uh, quick. You're you're going in the labs. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're going going quick, but we could end up sitting out there for a long ass time. So it's not the end of the world. Yeah. For, but you're like, hey, I don't want to freeze my ass off if I'm sitting, but I don't know yeah. if I'm going to be humping either. Yeah, well, or like, what if you get engaged, right? Then you're going to just adrenaline alone will kick up your body heat and you don't want to fatigue that way either. But that's a whole different story anyway. Uh, so we get, get cold out and we go to our labs to get ready. And we usually only roll with four labs. So there's, it was four to Charlie, which is what I was in at the time. Uh, then our medics and engineers always went in the middle somewhere. And then at the back, I want to say it was four to, who was it with? Uh, not headquarters. Four to Charlie, Charlie, and I don't know. Forget who else ended up coming with us. Maybe it was headquarters. But just to confirm, you got four labs, three all sections going out with a with medics and combat engineers. There's a well, two infantry sections going out in labs, and then two bisons. So then oh. it's a, a medic bison and an engineer bison. So that's usually how we would roll. So we're going to get ready, and our sergeant's like, we have no eyes on, we don't have uh, UAV, we don't have Afghan National Police coordinating off the area. We have this big 10 grid, 10 figure grid square. So right now, go for breakfast. We, we got pop shots the last time we were there, so go have breakfast and come back. So we come back, and then uh, Tom section's getting ready, and he's getting in his vehicle, and we start chirping back and forth about something stupid, I'm sure. And we get back and we're like, hey, Sarge, like, why are we bringing another vehicle? And he's like, because we got pop shots, we don't have eyes on, don't know what we're going into, so we're gonna bring another vehicle just as extra security. 4-2 Alpha is whose vehicle Tom was. Um, so 4-2 Charlie, which was the section that I was in, was supposed to be taking the lead. So we're mounted up, we're about to roll outside the gate and uh, the sergeant in 4-2 Alpha says, we're Alpha, we always take the lead. Bumps us to the rear of the patrol. Now we're second in command in the uh, patrol. And I'm air sentry in the back of the labs doing security at the back. Is the, is the order lav, lav, bison, bison? I don't even remember that. I don't know. I, I, would, I think so. I, I don't remember. But you're rolling down the road now to get... To this IED. Yeah, so we're, we're going through, we go through this village, it's all zigzaggy, and then we hit this highway. And it's just like open stretch, and it's supposed to be somewhere along this highway that the IED is. And I'm in the back, and I'm doing security for the back of the patrol, so we, when you're the, doing that, you like wave back the cars, because they always tail super close. And if they get too close, then you, you fire a warning shot, or whatever you gotta do. And so we get start clearing culverts. And so it's like we get one culvert done, then all of a sudden a dump truck pulls out. We get like a few done, dump truck pulls out and starts turning vehicles around. And at the same time, we're getting told that there's a motorcycle that's been on a road beside this highway going back and forth, and which is kind of suspicious. And at the same time, on the other side of the highway, there's a group of fighting age males sitting in a field super early. It's, for them, it's like middle of winter, just like it is for us here. It's cold. Why are they out? Because there's no crops out in those fields. No, absolutely not. So it's like, what's going on here? Um, so we go a couple more, and I'm like, I, the corporal that's up there with me, I don't know if I say his name or anything, but I'm like, 
you know, I think we should call this up. And he's like, no, no, no. And so, and like, I'm kind of the same way too, to be honest. It's like, you don't want to sound like a pussy. Like, a, you know, I'll go back to that first time outside the wire where it's like, hey man, you were overreacting. And I was like, oh shit. So you don't want to sound like a pussy, right? Yeah, you don't want to be a Captain America. You don't yeah, want to be the guy who's like way over the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But then it just got, it, it got bad. And it was like, hey Sarge, like you need to look at this. And he turned around and he was like, fuck. So then he called it up right away. And then you could hear Tom's voice going rolling. And then it was just a fucking massive explosion. Uh, massive explosion. Like shook through my legs. Are you, your fate, they're in front of you. You're yep. facing. I'm facing backwards. So I like instantly I turn around and all I can see is massive chunks of, of road falling all over the place. And it felt like there's just this huge pause where it was just like silence for a really long time and I'm sure it was only like two seconds but it was like Alpha's been hit Alpha's been hit get the fuck out get the fuck out T-Triple-C to the front so now I'm operating the door I'm like fucking trying to open the door and I got the headset on so I can hear that they're calling for T-Triple-C so I'm trying to say it in the back of the lab like T-Triple-C get out sorry for us civilians what's T-Triple-C tactical combat casualty care okay so you're pretty much like you know you're a medic but not a medic got it you know, in the heat of the moment. Yep. Uh, so trying to get these guys out. And Is there a threat of an ambush at this point too? Absolutely. Anytime that there's, anytime there's an IED, you expect an ambush right away, especially if there's vehicles demobilized. Um, so we, uh, I get them out. Like I'm like shaking. So and you're up at the, the lab now. I'm still in the lab in the exact same spot. Open the door for these guys. They get out. Now there's kind of like a, this almost like waiting period where it's like, we don't know what's going on. And then we hear over comms, uh, two VSA, one pry alpha, one unknown. And I'm 19, just in the military, don't know what VSA means. And I'm like, what's VSA? And the guy like beside, the corporal beside me is like, two are dead. I'm like, oh, fuck. Then you start thinking like, who is it? And yeah, because you, like, that's your platoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, you don't know who it is. And like, there's guys going through HLTA, like on leave, like rest and relaxation. So then certain guys fill in for certain guys and you're like trying to think who's in that vehicle, who is there, so on and so forth. Um, and this is all going through your mind. You're in the lab because yeah. you have to stay with the lab. The other guys have to dismount. Yeah. So yeah, we are still, still trying to like, PC, like it was just a, a moment of like, what the fuck's going on? And then we got told that there's helicopters on the way. Um, so then because we're two IC, we have to go out and land the helicopters. So our sergeant looks back and uh, Corporal Blair is the one who was the two IC that day. So he was going, he obviously had to have someone with him. So I went with him. Uh, so we get out of the lab, we get to the edge of the road. And I remember looking at him and you know, you could tell that he was like, this is real kind of thing. And this was, I want to say his third tour too. Okay. I was just going to ask you how many tours. Yeah. So it's like, you're looking at this guy who's like a seasoned vet here and you're like, fuck, you can tell that he's like, shit's happening. You can tell he's a little pale in the face and a little bit. I, I don't even know if it, it was in the eyes. Yeah. I remember looking in the eyes like and this before. I, I don't even know if it was that, but he immediately says, watch where you're stepping. I don't want to lose you too. And it's like, Oh fuck. Like, and then I like I felt sick then. I remember that like my legs felt like wheezy because now we're walking out into this big open field to go wait for a helicopter to come. And 
the first thing that I thought as I radioed to the our gunner at the time, which was Reed, and I'm like, "You you got us?" And he's like, "I'm already off safe." <laughs> I'm like, "Fuck! All right, that made me feel a little bit better." That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Reed's from Hamilton too. Shout out Reed. Uh, nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, we ended up going out into this field waiting. The helicopters come in, pop smoke. Oh, while we're waiting, we're taking cover, obviously, and we're just chatting, like, fuck, who's in that vehicle? Uh, who's in Alpha? We start going through names, and it's like, is he here? Is he on leave? And uh, So then he's, <clears throat> Jeff's like, take a look at the vehicle. So I stand up and look over the hut. Not hut, little wall. And so I'm like, there's only, there's only four vehicles. I take cover again. And he's like, there's five vehicles. We have five vehicles. Look again. I look again. I'm like, there's only four vehicles, man. And he's like, it's impossible. <laughs> so he takes a look and he's like, there's only four vehicles. Like what the fuck is going on? So we end up popping smoke for the helicopter and bring out the medics, go up, let the medics go. I get into the vehicle and I hear, uh, we need help with bodies up front. So our sergeant looks in the back. No one's volunteering. So I'm like, fuck, I'll go. And the sergeant, knowing that I'm like fresh, he's like, you don't have to go. And I was like, no, I'll go. So I get out and go up to the front, and uh, there's two bodies on stretchers. Are you the first one getting to it? No, 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 no. So like the TCCC guys and everything, are in. those guys were already in. The medic was in. That's how we knew there was two VSA and so one triage. So there's triage happening. At yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what we were helping with was like they're already ready to go. We were just helping getting the bodies onto the helicopter. So we walk by, I walk by and there's on one of the, on the medic buys and there's a guy laying there and you can see his like date, like that's the pry alpha. Um, he ended up, he made it. There was like a moment where we didn't know if he was going to make it or not, but he made it. He's doing really well now. He's a great guy too, Chris. Um, so then I get up and look down and I can see Kerwin on the back of uh, the frag vest, so I know Kerwin's one of them. And then there's one that was laying up that, I'll just say that he wasn't recognizable, and uh, I, I asked the guy that was there with the bodies who it was, and it was Tom. So that was like, that was pretty, pretty heavy moment where it was like, uh, yeah. And uh, so then we had, we still had one, so I, I ended up taking John's body. And, uh, yeah, so. How long do the choppers, how long does it take since, from the IED strike for the choppers to get there? Oh, uh, longer than you'd think, I think. It was, I think it was like a solid 45 minutes. Like, it was a while. And in that time, are you worried about contact? Is, that, is there any contact 100%. going on? Like, sorry, is, is there anything suspicious that you're seeing? Or? No, so, like, when we did, we got Blackhawks, I think Blackhawks there right away. Like, pretty quick. Not really quick, but, like, pretty quick. Um. So they were, they were, it was, you know, kind of given the situation, not cool, but it was like cool seeing how low they get. And you right. felt safe at that point when I'm they got there because yeah. they're just like, there's two of them that are like zigzagging all over the place. And you like, you know, if anyone fires anything, they're getting fucked up. Yeah. Um, but we had, from them, we had comms that there was a group of fighting age males, like a large group of fighting age males. So we didn't know if they were going to come and try and, uh, pursue us but right there was that but it's more like the initial IED I think where you're like you're waiting for it like when are the shots coming where are they coming from yeah like you said you're expecting an ambush right that's yeah that's of, what you get taught that's it's, kind of the point of 
why they're using an IED is yeah. what you're taught, right? So yeah. you're you're expecting it the whole time, which has got to yeah. make that 45 minutes seem like a long time. Yeah. Well, I think I think one of the reasons why maybe they didn't engage was because the reason we couldn't see the vehicle was because the vehicle went like 20 feet in the air and 20 feet into the field and okay. departed. Like it was pretty obvious that, that they they successfully killed. So why kill yourselves when you already took some, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're so going, this is going to get us enough of a... Yeah. Looking back, that was probably like... They, that was successful enough for them. Why bother engaging in small arms when they already did what they needed to do? Right, and there's nothing you guys can do based based upon speculation, right? Yeah, yeah. Like so, that's, you're that you're was just sitting thing, yeah. watching, right? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Now the choppers leave. So yeah, so they take John and Tom first, and we still the labs upside down. It's combat hatch locked because the explosion going off, so we can't get in to get the last person who we don't know if they're yeah so guys are like yelling at the the vehicle like jonesy we're coming so on and so forth like hold on buddy so we end up landing uh special forces come so we walk i think jeff and i walked up with special forces up to the vehicle they ended up having to cut it open and one guy went in he came back out and he's like covered in oil and shit and he's like he's not in there so then we're like fuck did he like go out the top of the hatch and he ended up going back in, and he was still in there, uh, and, and obviously killed on impact. Um, like as soon, as the, I think the ID went off right underneath him. Uh, I think was he the driver? He was the driver. So I think it, it, I, I think the impact alone probably the percussion probably killed him, but the, I think he broke his neck too. Is just by. And that lav design is still that lower to the ground one. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'd say they're they're low. the The hull is supposed to be, I think, a V shape, so it's not supposed to take brunt of an impact. But it, it, like, I mean, it doesn't really do much. Like I've seen pictures of lavs being peeled like a tin can, right? Just make a bigger bomb. Yeah, that's pretty much what they do. This bomb was massive. We ended up finding out afterwards that the wire that ran back, which went to that group, that it was a remote controlled IED. Uh, and it was that group. It had weeds growing through the wire and stuff. So that it, it had been there for a long time. So they'd be waiting for a while. Yeah, they they put a small charge in the culvert, blew it out, packed in this IED, and then reconcreted it. Oh wow! Fucking yeah, they're pretty smart over there. Anyways, so that's we end up doing that, and then now we find out Jonesy's passed, uh, and now it's like okay, turn around and go back to camp. So now my vehicle's in the front. Now we're checking culverts again on the way back. And this time... How far out are you from, from base at that point? I don't think it was that far. I can't even remember. Like, this is so long ago now. Like, right. a lot of those details, I don't remember. Um, but it probably, like, regardless, it probably felt way longer, right? Just getting yeah, back to safety? Uh, yeah, it felt pretty uneasy at that moment. And, like, you're all fucked up, obviously. Uh, sure. I wasn't ready to see what I saw that day, that's for sure. So you've got how many? You've got three killed in action, but you've got some <coughs> casualties sitting there too. Don't yeah, you? we have uh, one pry alpha, which is like as serious injured, in, as seriously injured as you can be in a category with the military. So that's like he's holding on for life. That's four. Yeah. Are there any? How many? What are? The, is there any other guys in there? Not at this moment. So there is guys outside the vehicle that were clearing culverts. Um, Stewie had some concrete fall on him. Uh, Macaulay, I think, might have had some concrete shoot out. But nothing like, no. 
so part of the section was dismounted when that yeah. happened. Yeah, so that the lead vehicle always ends up dismounting for uh, culverts and stuff, looking for IEDs while you're driving, so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, so we ended up going back. And right as we're rolling through, our sergeant's like, like if we didn't bring over the radio, over the comms in the vehicle, he's like, if we didn't bring another vehicle, that was us. And it was like, fuck. And I found out afterwards, Kerwin was uh, the man operating the door, which is why he was still in the vehicle. So that's where I was that day too. So I would have still been in the vehicle, which is fucking heavy. <laughs> right. I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about your role. So your, your role in the lab is just beyond operating the door. Are, are you like, so you're facing rearwards. So are you like tail gunner basically? Is that kind of your Well, so role, all or? you use is your rifle. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Either if you've got the C9 machine gun and just C7 rifle, whatever you got, sure. that's kind of what the rear of the patrol is. There's those two guys standing out of this little hatch. Um, but then inside the vehicle, those guys are there to dismount at any time. Right. Uh, if you come so under like an air, you're an air sentry. Yeah, it was an air sentry is exactly what it was. Whereas I think you're thinking of like the door gunner on the side of a chopper, which is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, so you're not like running that. like a big heavy machine gun by any means. It's no, 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 it's not your personal rifle. Yeah, your personal, yeah, personal weapon. So, so now you're back in, uh, you're back in CNS. Yeah, Cam Nathan Smith. So we get back there, uh, and we roll in, and like, so so far, like I broke down. I got back to the vehicle after I carried the bodies, and I got asked who it was, and I couldn't even answer. I broke down, just bawling. But then by the time we mount up and we're going back, I'm kind of pulling myself back together. We got to go clear culverts and shit, and you never know if something will happen. So I'm trying to, like, maintain a clear focus as much as I can and roll into the gate, and the whole camp's just there waiting for us. And it's like, oh, fuck, here we go again. Like, the emotions just, like, you don't want to see anyone, talk to anyone, sit down. I think it was our ad came in, and... He was like, you know, the, pretty much the, the speech was, we knew this would happen. You got 24 hours in the morning. We're back at it. Just like, oh, okay, thanks, buddy. <laughs> so, and then we end up going to our rooms. And I'm, I, honestly, I've never seen so many grown men cry. Like, everyone thinks that soldiers are, you know, you expect, that's what you're there for. You know it's coming and so on and so forth. You're not human if, like, the guys that you were just living with, you just you know that they just got killed in front of you. Like, yeah, I don't think there's any way to mentally prepare for that. Is there? not at all. No, like, especially I, I mean, yeah. Fuck, I was 19. I can't believe I was 19. You know, that's the part that I process going in there. Going, yeah, at 19. You know, like your prefrontal lobe's not even fully developed yet. Yeah, like, it's yeah. Getting to see, you know, things that people are not going to experience. You know, even as a veteran myself, we think that every time someone goes into a tour, that there's combat but that's like what you get to see there is very very rare yeah i mean if you went percentage wise of like how many canadians went through afghanistan how many saw combat and how many actually saw it like even the like the day the people that were on that patrol there's a lot of guys that didn't actually see the unfortunate circumstance of those bodies and the state those bodies were in and stuff you know like that's shit that i've had nightmares about and like I've had visions in my head of ever since it's happened. Like that's, I, and yeah, it's a very small percentage of people who go and actually see that shit. But and, and now you just gotta like suck it up and get out there. Twenty four yeah. hours later. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And then so it's like right back to QRF calls and stuff. And then we ended up going for the ramp ceremony. Uh, on the way to Canada airfield, we found an IED. 
which was it's just like fuck come on give us a break here yeah seriously we end up getting to Canada Airfield and they have just like here like when you go for visitation and stuff and there's the caskets there and picture their picture on top with this their is the ramp ceremony now yeah so this is like before that we were having like our own little visitation and stuff and then we start getting rocket attacks and it's like come on and they're like you need to leave and go and we're like fuck off like I don't even care right now. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Hit us. And, uh, yeah. So then we end up, our ramp ceremony got delayed because of all of those. And then while we we're getting ready, we got told that there's going to be no, uh, pipes or anything being played because they didn't want anyone to know that we were doing the ramp ceremony because we just kept on getting rocket attacked. So, uh, that was a whole nother. It's just like, fuck you guys. And then, yeah, so that was that, was that experience. <laughs> but there's still more to come on this tour, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I got there September 1st, and that's now that's December 13th. Like four months in. Yeah, so I still got a few months to go, and, and my whole perspective changes at that point too, right? It's like, okay, we had really nothing serious happen, and then now it's like, okay, we are vulnerable, we aren't invincible, we can be touched, and if we get touched, there's a good chance we can't even fight back. So... Yeah, your whole perspective changes. I start being like, I don't even want to go outside the wire anymore. Before, I was like, yeah, let's go on patrol. And you're driving over culverts. And if you're in the air century, you're standing like a toothpick, hoping that if it goes off, you're going to get just shot straight out so you don't get caught and lose limbs and shit. And that's the new, that's the new norm, I guess, right? And yeah, so then Christmas came. We ended up eating little potato crockets. And that was... <laughs> <laughs> but now Christmas yeah. is only two weeks later. Yeah. It's yeah. A, I mean, it, it, looking back at it, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like I went from that night, finally being able to, on December 13th, being able to call my parents and I'm in tears. And I'm like, if I get killed, don't open a casket. So and my mom just bawling oh because, and this is one of those times that the media got uh, access to it and released it before next of kin were notified. So, oh, it, so it was worse. released that, yeah, golf company, KPRT had three VSAs and uh, they didn't have names. And then my parents are like, fuck, that's a small group. And my son's there trying to call like the MFRC and find out information and can't find any information out. And yeah. Your mom's mom and dad were probably watching every car that came by the driveway. Oh, probably. Yeah. So then I end up calling them. They were relieved to hear from me, but obviously shook up too. Right. Uh, and then, and uh, yeah, so it's like, it's all fat. Like after that, I don't know, it's so weird over there how time is because there's so much shit going on that it's like, yeah, Christmas was only a couple weeks later. And looking back at it, I, it's, you know, it sounds terrible to say now, but I think we were like joking around and stuff during Christmas. But it, like, what are you going to do? Like, like we we're having like a shitty Christmas dinner, you know, like. We, that's the dark side, I guess, of the military, right? Yeah, I was going to ask you kind of about that. In the in the next few weeks, uh, obviously you're you're still you're still going back to work every day. But what what are you guys doing to try and to to keep morale up? Like how's a lot of working out, a lot of ball hockey, uh, yeah. and then a lot of escalation of force. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, we are shooting at like anyone that gets <laughs> within our range, right? Um, to the point of like COs coming and sitting us down and being like, "You guys need to fuck off and stop shooting at everything." And I remember right after that conversation, we went outside the wire, and just DJ ends up shooting at a motorcycle. 
And I just remember our warrant officer getting out and he's being like, what the fuck did I just say? Stop <laughs> fucking shooting that shit. <laughs> and you're just like, well, like, I mean, we don't want to die. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I don't really give a fuck. Like, uh, the, I would say that the attitude changed to you towards, to be perfectly honest, I think the general population there too. It yeah. was like, you know, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I don't want to sound too. So, so harsh. now all of a sudden you, you, you're worrying about being Captain America, Captain America when you're there for the first couple of days with your buddy. Now all of a sudden it's like that's right out the window. Oh, yeah. And I, and I, th yeah. And I think that followed with, with everybody, even the people that, that weren't there, right? Is yeah. That kind of the vibe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was like, oh shit, like shit's real now. Don't give a fuck. Like I think was kind of the attitude. And like you would go places and kids too. Like kids would be running up and stuff. And at first, I remember giving them pens, water, muffins. Then now it's like, fuck off. Like I just, I like I've kind of, I'm over it. Um, so yeah, then remember we get through Christmas and then we ended up losing our engineers as well. Uh, I wasn't there for that. Um, our sister platoon was. They went into the Argon Dab and it's kind of like a one way in, one way out. And from what I've been told, I obviously I wasn't there. I can't even give just from my perspective or anything, but just from what I was told was the way that it was, was it was like a bag full of garbage. They went in, exploited, and on the way out, we figured that, or they figured that um, they were watching to see who the engineers were and then hit the engineers on the way out with another IED. Uh, and then those guys ended up in contact uh, during the night, like through the night and was kind of shitty. And we were at MSG for that. And I remember, so one of the guys that ended up coming overseas to replace the guys that I was there with, with Tom and them, um, was one of my buddies. So I remember they got to camp and this is probably like January, February, January. And I welcomed them. There's three guys coming to replace the three guys or four guys, replace the guys that ended up getting killed and going home. And I remember how I felt when I got there. So I welcome them at the gate. Nobody else is welcoming them or anything. I like welcome them at the gate, bring them around, show them camp, where to go for the phone, stuff like that. And, and uh, I just remember that like being like, I got to be like nice to these guys. Even though like I'm upset what happened, I know yeah, that for feeling. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know that it would have been comforting for you to have that, right? So yeah, exactly. It's, it's good for you to pay, to pay that forward, even though it wasn't paid they, forward to you, right? Are they all no hooks too? I I think one of them was a hook, one hook, yeah. But all like, yeah. What we mean by that is you've you've got to do a year to get your hook. No longer. I think you have to be trained for your. I don't even know what it is anymore. It's, to be honest, but it means something just to get like. Well, just a private. I was a one hook private. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're trained, but right. yeah, yeah, that so early that yeah. they don't even have hooks on yet. Yeah. So they well, how some of them came with me like were either the course, the infantry course before me or after me. So it was, we're all from that same, like we're fresh. Um, except for one guy or two guys even. No, one guy I think was, was with them, got kicked off tour and then ended up coming back over. Um, like made, made amends, I guess you could say. Uh, Did you get your hook while you're on tour? Uh, I just started wearing one, to be honest. You just I threw just, it on? Yeah, I just started wearing one. After the boys got okay. hit, yeah, and then, like, maybe two, maybe not even two months later, I was like, fuck it. Like, I don't even care. I'm not walking around with nothing on this applet anymore. Uh, but anyway, so they uh, they came, and I remember, it's funny, I talk about the first time that I was outside the wire, 
Steve, we ended up being roommates after and it was wild, but Steve, when he replaced the boys and he ends up in my vehicle for his first patrol and the exact same thing happens except for a vehicle comes flying around the corner and he's like ready to light this vehicle up. And I'm like, chill dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. He yeah. wants to call it in. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. he's, and I'm like, fuck, I remember that. And, I, and it seems so long ago, but it was only a couple months ago, you know? Yeah. yeah you yeah. learn quick, don't you? Oh yeah. 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 Like, yeah, it was wild. Um, so yeah, we ended up losing those guys, but wanted to bring Steve into it because I remember being at MSG and we found out, we thought it was Coppola's vehicle that got hit and that's one of Steve's really good buddies. So now I'm telling him like, you need to tell them that you want to be a part of the ramp ceremony and all this stuff. And then we ended up finding out it wasn't that vehicle. It was actually the engineers. That vehicle was calling it in. So it was just a wild, it's just wild over there. <laughs> but yeah, I can only imagine what that would do to the emotions. Cause one minute you're thinking it's, your best friend dead and next me you're fine. Oh, it's someone else, but still it's someone else is dead. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, it does impact you differently though. Like I remember, I remember the feeling of like being with Steve talking to him and he's like shook up by it and then finding out it's not their vehicle. And oddly it sounds so harsh, but there's almost like some sense of relief because you're not as close and connected. Like it's weird. It's not in your section. Yeah. yeah. It's not the guy like, yeah, it's a tough it's thing. A, it's a tough thing to admit that you're that you have that sense of relief, right? Like because you're you're obviously not happy, but I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a, that sense of relief still. Yeah, that's definitely a yeah. So that's so now you're hitting what February March there? What's that like? Yeah, I think they got hit in March. So like you're getting close to the end of tour, and you're like, fuck, I just I want to get home now. <laughs> like, um. So yeah, that's, uh, we have like some other minor incidents happen along the way, like some weird stuff that just, anyway. So what's it, so what's it, um, what's it like getting home after all that? Yeah. Uh, so or what's the process even? Cause I have no idea. So yeah, the, the process is pretty much like you get told this is when you're going to fly out. So you go and, so you go to, I think you go to Dubai first and then you end up going to at that time, we were going to Cyprus. You so were you still, go, it was still Cyprus then? Yeah. So I think originally they went to Dubai for what's called decompression. And you do some classes to learn how to like come back to society, I guess, and all right. the signs if you have PTSD and all that stuff. Right. Um, but so we ended up in Cyprus for this. But let's be real. Again, like I'm 19. You, I have 25K in the bank now. And I was just in a war zone for like seven months. I'm blowing that money on substance and women yeah so, yeah uh so th those classes i literally sat through drunk lots of guys got in trouble lots of fights happening at the resort uh and then we come home when you get home usually you get like a certain amount of leave we had i think three weeks off and then we had to be back so uh, i ended up going back home and i honestly i don't really remember too much of it uh my parents told me that I just wanted to go back. Like, I just want to be back with the boys. And right. I bought a vehicle down here and I was driving back. I drove back. I think I was only here for like a week and then drove back. And yeah, uh, then you have this transition piece where you only go in for like an hour and then you're off for the day. Or like you would end at the beginning. I think you only went in like twice a week. So it was, 
you had so much time on your hands. And I, I, to be honest, I was depressed. Like, uh, I don't know, you go from like that action packed, you don't know what's going to happen to just being around and then all of a sudden partying and yeah. Uh, do, do you think p- part of the, the, the thrill of partying was kind of replacing some of that, th- that thrill of being in the action or do you a hundred percent like were you still chasing that adrenaline? I think that was part of it. Um, I think a lot of it was boredom too. Like there was nothing right. to look forward to. Um, so, you know, and like, and dealing with some of the, like I was having nightmares. I had this one nightmare for a long time, like I'd wake up in sweats where, and it doesn't even make sense. It's, I'm in a building and I'm looking at Tom and there's a, this building has no roof. This helicopter would come in, land, I would put Tom on the helicopter, it would take off and then Tom's body's there again. Like this is the dream that I would just like recycle all the time. Just recurring. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it doesn't even really make sense, but this is like every single night I'm having the same dream. And so like I'm dealing with that, I'm feeling like like the, a lot of guilt. We had to clean out Kerwin's house when we got back, our section, which is fucked up. Uh, and there's still like kids' toys laying around the PMQ and stuff. And it's like a, f- a blatant reminder that this guy had a family and kids. And yeah. you know, I'm I'm 19, 20 years old with nothing. Like why why not me? That's where I was staying in that vehicle. Why wasn't our vehicle right? Right. So you're dealing with survivor's guilt in a sense. Too, oh, for right? sure. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And then like you have it, you're sitting around doing nothing, right? right? So it's all you're thinking about. Right. There's no, you have no purpose. You don't know what's next. Right. And like you end up doing nothing. So it's like, okay, let's go out. And the guys that you are close with are guys that are dealing with some of the same shit. So it's like, okay, let's go out for a beer. That's a fucking terrible idea. Yep. But you're young and that's what you, that's all you know. So it you just get sent into this spiral. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And then getting into like work routine. And when we finally went back, I, uh, I remember going before going overseas, we were in the theater and there, this guy came in and he was talking about how when he came back and PTSD and you don't really listen because you don't really think like it's like, that's it's not going to hit you. Yeah, exactly. And I remember one part that I remembered was him talking about his gaff. And he was like, when I got back, I had no gaff anymore. And it was like, what the, and he, it, your give a fuck factor. And that's what, yeah, that was me. I literally did not give a fuck about anything when I got back. And then it's like, oh, now you're going to treat me like we're going to play this military game again. We just went from like me calling John and Peter, John and Peter. And now I got to be like, hey, Sergeant, blah, 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 standard attention. It's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Let's go fight the real shit or yeah. I just want to go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now what's happened and how I see it is you've got your parade square soldier and you've got your battlefield soldier and you've done a year of battlefield. <laughs> yeah. He's got to get on the parade square. Yeah. And I think that's that's a huge impact for a lot of guys, right? Like. That was a, a big problem. Like, and, and the other thing too is, it's very clicky in the military. So I was out east. I'm an Ontario boy. I'm not uh, an ATV snowmobile kind of guy. So there'd be these warrant officers who would let other people shit slide. But then it's like I'm not buddies with them. So it's like we'll make an example of him. And and to be fair, I completely deserved it because I was being a piece of shit. Um, so when's this, is this happening in year two now? Of- like getting back? Yeah, I, I, everything's kind of a blur. I remember in 09, I had a suicide attempt. Uh, my Steve, we ended up being roommates. Uh, he saved me. And I don't know if he called my, I think he called my parents. 
I remember having like the paramedics kick in the door and all this shit. And then I ended up in some legal trouble, uh, getting, yeah, getting arrested. And yeah, like everything was a blur because I was just an absolute fucking wreck. Um, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah where, where do we go with that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah well, guess. like, a good. Uh, so, I'm lucky I had my family and stuff. So, or I want to say 2010, 11, I ended up getting in more legal trouble, but it's a blessing and a curse all at the same time. Happened in Ontario. And the judge was like, you can't leave Ontario. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll go live with my parents. The military is like, get your ass back to New Brunswick. And it's like, okay, so which one do I listen to? Oh, yeah. Do I listen to the federal yeah. government or provincial government, whatever you want to call it, or do I listen to the military? Either way, I'm fucked. And so luckily my dad was like, he's going to listen to the judge. He's not going to listen to you, Captain. I'm not going to say his name. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of what happened with that. So they ended up cutting off my pay considering me a wall, And then luckily, I don't know when it was, 2011, 12, I ended up getting put in touch with uh, OSIS here in Hamilton. Oh, good, okay. Yeah, who, who stepped in. Uh, Polly was amazing. Uh, she got me tons of help. Uh, I ended up in another relationship that was just poor. <laughs> I ended up with a, someone here. It was just all for all the wrong reasons. Now, do they drop the AWOL charges on you? And so they held on to that for a long time. They tried getting me to VR. So I had legal trouble in New Brunswick and I had legal trouble in Ontario now. Mainly legal trouble in Ontario because of the legal trouble in New Brunswick that I wasn't supposed to be drinking and stuff and got busted. So, uh, so they tried getting me to VR while I was going through the legal stuff. Uh, so I had to go back to New Brunswick. And while I'm there... My captain comes to the courthouse for, like, I had to go through trial and everything, sit on the stand and everything. I ended up getting found not guilty. And so it was, like, huge sigh of relief. It's like, God damn, like, it was a vindictive situation. Someone was trying to get me arrested. What, they, what, would, what would have been if you weren't found not guilty? Uh, the, well, A, I would have been going to jail. And what, like, a, two years in Edmonton? No, no, no. It was uh, civilian side. Okay. Few, I think it was looking at three to nine months or something like that. Um, but it was like, I'm not pleading guilty to something that isn't true. So I uh, ended up fighting it and obviously found not guilty. Um, so the military kind of lost their stance on being like, fuck you, get away kind of thing. And then the people here, Pauly was a huge part. OSIS was huge um, advocating for me, got me in touch with uh, the people at... Uh, the, the IPSC in London, I ended up getting posted to the IPC, IPSC in London, uh, and then all that shit. I got backdated pay for the whole time, which was nice. Like, yeah. And now you're not having to VR out of the military. Now I'm not having to VR. I'm, I'm kind of put in this position where it's like now I'm looking at the transition out of the military. But I, don't, I didn't want to leave the military either. It was like you know you're getting told you're not being in the military anymore. You're not doing anything. So now they're like, okay, you're going to go work at a reserve unit in Hamilton twice a week in a clerk's office answering phones. It's like that's setting guys up for failure too. <laughs> um, 
the people at the IPSC when I first got there were absolutely amazing. The captain that was there was absolutely amazing. The warrant officer that was there was absolutely amazing. Amazing people. Can't say enough good things about them. And then we had another warrant officer come in and everything went to shit. Um, and I was still at that, like, don't give a fuck about anything moment. So that just kind of escalated things at the moment, too. I ended up in two different inpatient programs. Uh, ended up separated, a whole bunch of stuff. But then... Uh, I've got to interrupt for a second. And yeah. something just to put in a timeline. Like, there's all these resources that we know about now, but we're back now in 2011. Yeah. So the, the effects of PTSD and all the things around... Or maybe that's mislabeled because it's there's another word we can use for it with OSI. Or? Yeah, because it's your occupational operational operational stress injury. Yeah. Versus, I can get PTSD from seeing a dog get hit on the street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I from what I understand from someone else that I know that's still in the military that I, is from my hometown that I've spoken to, I was in that that window where they were trying to retain guys and not just kick them to the curb but didn't really know what they were doing and didn't know how to treat it, I guess, would be how I was explained. And then now they're treating it a lot differently. So you can be retained in like a clerical position or something like that and be retrained, not just like, okay, you're going to go sit in this office not doing really anything, not per pursuing your career or a career, not progressing or anything. No mission. Yeah, no purpose. Um, but there is, yeah, OSIS was great when I needed them the most. Um, and then I ended up in 2013, I went to uh, a soldier on camp. I got to play on the Comerica field, Comerica park ice rink field ice rink, uh, for the Maple Leafs first Red Wings outdoor game. Were you still in the military then? Uh, I got out. No, I think that was just after I got released. So I got out in 2013, I think September. And then this was December. Um, so ended up going on that and you've, you've done five years then, uh, I ended up doing like six and a half, six and a half years. Yeah. Se uh, January 07 to 2013. Yeah. Oh, the end. Six and a half years as a private. Yeah. So that's well, the whole thing. So like when I got back, uh, I got back in 09, uh, I was told that I was looking at, uh, advanced promotion for my corporals. And then we did those little booklets. You, when you get back, you have to fill out these little questionnaires. And I was honest with, on them. It was like, you know, are you having recurring thoughts, so on and so forth. And I was honest on it, and I said yes. And um, So then you have to go see a social worker, and then you explain, okay, so what did you do? Like, what happened? So then you tell them, and they're like, okay, well, well now we're going to put you on a little category here, and you're not going to really do anything but see us, and you can't touch weapons. And so then... As soon as you get put on category, you can't be promoted or anything. So that was part of it. I ended up getting off of that, but then I ended up in more trouble, which <laughs> didn't help my case, right? So, and then put back on category and then, yeah. Right. Big rigmarole, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now so, I got I to gotta fast forward <laughs> this because you know, an idea you get leads to us meeting. That's okay. You know, an idea you have leads to us meeting. Yeah. And how does like, Helping Heroes Heal, where, when does that come out of so that's, that's going? That's kind of where like the Soldier On stuff 
comes in, right? Like I ended up, I thought when I got released, that was it. Like there's no military connection. I can't be a part of that community, especially here in Hamilton. Like I didn't, I was going to OSIS groups, but those groups were very small at the time. Um, so it was like, okay, so there's like four of us in this surrounding area, you know? It's like you feel left alone. I thought that was it. And then I went on this soldier on camp and I found out about it. And uh, that was also the first time that it, December 13th, I wasn't super depressed. Uh, we were in a hotel in Detroit and sitting around, we were, you know, voting to pick who the captain was or something. And it dawned on me like, hey, it's December 13th. I didn't even think about it. Like that was the first time, usually like Remembrance Day is kind of like, you know, I think about Tom obviously because of the conversation that he had with me. And then that's the leading to December 13th. So there's that whole time and then Christmas. And it's like, I think about Tom's daughter. I think about John's kids. I think about all, and then it just like, it's just that rabbit hole, right? So pretty much all of winter is shot for me. And that was the first time was 2013 with Soldier On where I'm like, Fuck, I'm having fun. And I didn't feel guilty either because I was with my peers who needed some support too. So it was like, I'm not just having fun going out getting drunk. Like I'm there supporting other peers that understand what I'm going through too. So then I ended up doing a few more. I ran, did a relay with Soldier On with the last flag flown in Afghanistan from Trenton to Parliament Hill. And we got to present that flag on the biggest parade that's ever been on Parliament Hill. Uh, ever to Prime Minister Harper. Got to go to his house too and like bring my son in and he's wiping his strawberry hands on a yellow couch in the Prime Minister's house. And, you know, so like that, that <laughs> was kind of, yeah, it was like I went from, you have that feeling of going from zero or a hero to zero, right? Everyone cares about you. Everyone wants to know what you're doing. Then you get home and it's like, okay, you made it. Cool. Well, you know, we'll chat. And it's like, okay, I'm not getting those messages every night on Facebook. Like, hey, how was your day? What are you doing? I hope, can't wait to see you when you get back. And it's like, okay, now I'm just left dealing with this shit. Yeah, I think, I think when I met you, that was, a, that was a lot of what you were doing. I, I met Matt uh, through, through a hockey team here in Hamilton. Matt had just volunteered because he wanted to, uh, t to get out of the house. And I, th and I think that whole... I don't want to say stigma, but the whole idea of rejoining society and as much as you kind of snicker at it is, I mean, it's for a lot, that's not, that's not an easy task. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, I think a big, a big part of it that, that you deal with, with helping heroes heal uh, is a lot of it's through sport and uh, that kind of, that kind of brought us and a lot, and a lot of people together. Like we see a lot of reoccurring uh, members that, uh, different events that we that, that that we're able to to put on like like yeah. golf tournaments and yeah and different different events and yeah it, I, it it's amazing how much hockey has an influence not just on my life but and like it's the military and yeah, how sure. much impact specifically hockey has like uh, that's hockey's always been my safe place it's something that I was good at when I was younger excelled at. I wasn't good at school. It was like, there wasn't anything that I gravitated to. It's always been hockey in Afghanistan. That was like our morale booster. That's, we all chatted hockey. That's what connected us all. Got back, started playing hockey. That's what we were doing. And then, yeah, when I went through that lull of like, okay, now I'm doing, waiting for a soldier on event here and there. And it's like, that's, that's not cutting it anymore. Like, what am I going to do? So it's, then it's like, okay, well, I'll volunteer at 
different hockey organizations. And, and then it's also expanding my social presence from just military too, which is a different, whole different comfort level. It's like, these are people that, are, that understand me. Don't even, I don't even need to explain myself. They just know that I was in, saw some shit, don't need to tell them anything. But now it's like, okay, I go to a hockey club and it's like, you know, there might be some days where I'm just like, fuck this, I'm not coming in. But that's why I wanted to volunteer though, right? So there's no obligation, I don't have to feel bad. And then that's, that's kind of what led to Helping Heroes Heal. I ended up meeting Chad at a Soldier On fundraising event and he was in the MMA community and I wasn't really an MMA fan at the time. I want to say this was 2014 okay. in Bradford. And he was there with John McDessie and Fear the Fighter. And uh, they invited me. Soldier On asked if I would go represent them and share my story and, at this fundraising event and spend the weekend there. They paid for a hotel for myself, my family to go to. And I ended up hanging out with you know, a UFC fighter, which I uh, thought was pretty cool. And, Ended up taking a limo back and forth with them to the event, which I wasn't supposed to, but they were like, yeah, let's do it and come with us. And then Chad and I stayed in touch and I would go volunteer. That was another avenue. I was volunteering with him with Fear the Fighter, going out to MMA events and selling t-shirts and stuff. And um, that kind of, that's where our connection came in. And then the just waiting for events for me wasn't cutting it anymore. It was like, okay, I, I can sit around and wait for two events a year, but what am I going to do with that time in between? It's like, I'm not, not prepared to go work full time at a construction site or something. Cause I'm not retrained on anything. Tried school a couple times, not successful, not enjoying that. Uh, what am I going to do? So Chad was on me for like two years of like, let's, he wanted to do, it was disabilities in action is what he had this idea for and finally I was like you know what let's try and find opportunities I know I have a lot of connections in the golf community from my mom who worked with Golf Canada for 25 years have a great relationship with them they were very supportive of my mother while I was overseas I would volunteer at the Canadian Open that was like my way of giving back for being so supportive like why not let's do it um so we registered that a year ago and then yeah we've just been able to put on different events and stuff which has been great and then yeah and it's been great because it, it's given you a bit more of like a a purpose again where where you don't have to feel so you you feel like when you wake up you you've you can contribute again right where yeah and like the more and more you do things exposure therapy is is huge 100 percent. so it's uncomfortable as fuck, though. <laughs> like, yeah, of course it is. It's, uh, I remember walking into... So when I first started with a hockey team, it was with the Kilty Bees here in Hamilton. Tim, the owners, phenomenal. Kelly, Mallory, good friends. That's how I ended up with them. But it's, again, it's like I know these people, so it's comfortable, right? And then while I'm there, Steph, uh, her, she works with the Bulldogs, and her husband was an assistant coach, now the head coach of the Kilty Bees. Great people. Steph was phenomenal, like super nice. And I kind of gave her a bit of my backstory and she mentioned that she was at the Bulldogs and I was like, if there's ever an opportunity to volunteer there, I would love to go try there too. And finally she was like, yeah, we need someone else to come help out. And I remember the first day that I went into there, I was sweating so bad. It was so embarrassing. Um, and it was hundred percent anxiousness and nervousness. And it's like, why am I so like, but the one thing that was good was like, it's hockey still. 
So it was like that. Yeah, it's, there's a bit of a comfort level there for you. Yeah. And for the listeners too, uh, the Kill TVs are like a, a junior B team and, and the, the Bulldogs are, are the OHL team here. So yeah, so it's a whole different level it's too. A, it's a bit of a step up again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it, was, it was interesting though going to the Bulldogs because it's very like fast paced. Not like very, very fast paced, but it, it's fast paced and it's like you just adapt and overcome. Like, you know, it, but the difference is, is like, if you slip up, nobody's going to die, but we'll just have to rearrange things to make it work. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you definitely had to get used to that. Right. Where it's like, yeah. you know what? We, we, the consequences are a little different. Too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's a huge part of, on like a lot of military people getting out. I don't even know if we acknowledge it, but it's, you get taught, you fuck up, people die. That's pretty much what it comes down to. So going into these situations where it's like you're, you know you're in Canada, but your body's still reacting. When things start getting amped up and yeah. people start going, like their voices yeah. get louder, the atmosphere changes, your body's going, yeah. oh, fuck, this is like, we're going. But it's like the first time you saw that kid on the bike pointing, right? Exactly. It's, like yeah. just, it's, it's not that big of a deal. No, and, exactly. and that's, that's what you've had to, to kind of overcome. And yeah. I even noticed it. I've only known you for a couple of years, but I even noticed that in you, in you now where you have, have rejoined society more yeah where you, you you're more comfortable than when i first met you yeah you know what i want to add in is i'm thinking about the audience listener now is they're yep. they're coming into this and and i think it's some good stuff for future episodes of some of these resources like helping heroes heal soldier yep. on yeah and, and what they do and can it connect and who all these you know coming from me like i i hardly knew how any of these fit together for veterans and yeah, and I think we can use a lot of your experiences and and help help that veteran community a bit. Yeah, that's to, to connect. Yeah, that's a, that's the whole goal. So, and there's been a lot of these organizations popping up in recent years. Like even I think Soldier On is only from like 2011. Like these aren't organizations that and like Soldier On's put on some massive event like. Invictus Games. These are the guys that are running like the teams for Invictus Games and stuff. Like these are big events for guys to go out and wear their nationality in front of an international crowd again and represent Canada. And, but then we also have the smaller stuff where like us, like we put on come out and play golf. No tournament, no competition or anything. But then there's Emeritus where it's like if you want to be competitive, go play golf and be competitive, and you get to do it with your peers and yeah. Yeah. I like to I like to think that helping heroes heal can can kind of be that first step too, where it's you don't you don't have to feel uncomfortable like it's a competition. Like we got tons yeah. of guys that come out and golf with us, and it's just hey, come on out, rounds on us. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll get we'll get golfing and and chatting and and help you take that first step to to kind of rejoin. Yeah, society. I think we'll have some social media presence with this For sure. podcast. Of course, to yeah, help yeah, yeah, yeah. Them yeah. connect because I know. Us veterans like Facebook for some reason. It's uh, it's well. <laughs> us older ones here, yeah, and us sure. older ones. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, bit younger. You're down on Instagram. That's <laughs> Even Derek's like, oh buddy, your Instagram posts are atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not not to not to push the wrap up here, but uh, yeah, as I far as good. as far as helping heroes heal go, uh, where where can everybody find you on the socials? Um, that's a good question. That's how good I am, Derek. I think it's, I think it is just helping heroes heal. Uh, 
Perfect. And the Google machine will help us with that one too. Yeah, yeah. We are verified on Google. I believe we come up first now on a search. So there you go. Helpingheroesheal.ca. And if you have a Google account, don't be afraid to leave a review on it either. Yeah. HHHfoundation.ca as well, I believe we scooped up. So awesome. And just a reminder to uh, to make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way you can uh, get the episode as soon as it comes out. We should uh, have a couple more here. We're going to try and get going uh, maybe once or once or twice a month for sure uh, with an episode. So uh, thanks for coming, guys.